Well, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, saints and friends of the Most High God. Welcome to another Bible study live. Thank you for liking, commenting, and sharing. Thank you for tuning in and logging on both in person as well as online. Uh, much appreciated as always. So let us bow our heads and let's go before the Lord in prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, praise you, love you, honor you, appreciate you for all that you are, all that you mean. Thank you for being the great God, Jehovah, that looks after us, the Yahweh God that's on our side. And we just honor you, God. We ask that you illuminate the study, that you would bless the speaker, the teacher, as well as the hearer and the listener. And God, an atmosphere be created where we learn and glean from you and take something further from what we learned on Sunday morning. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So on Sunday, this was our title. It's only temporary. It's only temporary. So we begin to talk about that. I mentioned that it came to my mind when uh, my mother and some others of the church had um, power outages on last Saturday. And I was a little concerned uh, knowing that my mom, my mom was alone. So I went to see her late that evening and uh, she kind of convinced me that she was okay and she was going to bed. So I went ahead and left, but I wasn't feeling too easy about that, comfortable. And I wonder, should I go back and make her come with me? And then I just simply heard these words, it's only temporary. And thinking specifically about uh, her power shortage and other people in, in the area, I seen trucks and things. I know that they were working on it. So it wasn't something that was going to last forever. But in that process, it really began, I began to shift in my thinking that it's not just this power outage, but many of the things that we are facing in our lives and uh, we have been, have been thrown our way, if we can recognize that it's only temporary, it shifts how we go through those things. And so the last couple of weeks, I've been really talking about patience as it relates to the trials and tribulations, the, the little things that come our way. Um, one scripture calls it the fiery darts of the, the evil one, just the, the things that hit us and they are designed to knock us off course or uh, cause us to to lose heart. But if we can reckon in our mind that it's only temporary, it shifts how we go through it. We don't go through it uh, the same way as if it's going to last forever. And so one uh, scripture, the psalmist says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. My dad would always say that, everyone's everyone's night is different. Your night may be longer than my night, but the truth is, is that joy is yet coming. So whatever we're dealing with, how dark it is or how long it is or how long we've been waiting, it's only temporary. So with that revelation and understanding, let's uh, define temporary. Lasting for only a limited period of time, not permanent, not permanent, not permanent. That's the key, that this is not like concrete. This is not like it's going to set up and it's going to stay forever. And that's usually what the devil is trying to convince us is that 
whatever we're dealing with, it is going to be that way forever. And one of the ways he convinces us is because many times the things go from bad to worse. It starts off at one level, then it seems to gradually get worse. And as it consistently gradually gets worse, as you're trying to traverse through it, it gives you this sinking feeling and this uh, temptation to settle that it will always be like this. So I might as well just let myself go or might as well no longer have hope, faith. I might as well backslide and just go ahead and live my life. But he's trying to convince us that it is permanent. So let's look at that again. Lasting only for a limited period of time. So it there is an expiration date on whatever you're dealing with. Just like in food, uh, there's an expiration date. Now, we can't see the expiration date, uh, but the trouble will expire. So you have to be inspired that the trouble will expire. So you have to understand that you will outlast the trouble if you understand this, that the trouble is temporary. And many times the trouble can actually work something in you beneficial if you can process through it correctly. So we went ahead and gave some synonyms that will help us grapple with this in our mind. So brief, short-lived, momentary, fleeting, passing, impermanent, here today and gone tomorrow, transient, non-permanent, short-term, interim. So one of the points that I made is that if something is here today and gone tomorrow, you can't make long-term decisions about things that are going to be here today and gone tomorrow. So a particular pain that you're dealing with, whether it's mental, emotional, physical, financial, if you feel like the pain is going to last forever, you will start making decisions based on the pain. But if you build your life based on the pain and then the pain shifts, then what you've done, you've built a monument to something that wasn't going to last. And sometimes people get stuck in in things like that. So you have to learn how to adjust. There have been people who have been divorced once, twice, third, fourth time, get it right. Boom. They're they're off to the races. There's other people have been divorced once and that's it. I'm an old maid or, or I'm a man that nobody wants. They build a monument to that current pain, not knowing that God was planning for them to outlast it. So you can't make permanent decisions on things that are only supposed to affect you limited time. Let's look at that one more time before we move on. Uh, brief, short-lived, momentary, fleeting, passing, impermanent, here today, gone tomorrow, transient, non-permanent, short-term, interim. All right, so then I, I took a turn and decided to take a shift and go in a different direction and leaving that that idea of just uh, the temporary for a moment to temporarily get away from the temporary and take us on a, a rabbit trail that was strategic. And so I begin to talk about the seven feasts or festivals in the Bible. 
So there were these Jewish festivals. They, they show up after the children of Israel come out of Egypt. That we don't see them before that, but these are things that were instituted in the law that God says, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to celebrate. It would almost be like saying, these are your set holidays that you're going to observe. And this is what you're supposed to do with, with these holidays or these feasts or these festivals. And so each of these feasts and festivals, they meant something and they actually all point to Christ. They actually all point to a New Testament time. And so I don't have time to to strip them all and get into all of them. And and to be honest, it's it's one of my weaker uh, points in my understanding. I've studied them uh, extensively in some ways, but I haven't really got revelation on it. So I, I normally don't teach things that I don't have a revelation from. So just because I don't have a revelation yet or God hasn't exposed it to me to where I could teach it to you, doesn't mean you don't need to learn about it. So there are several books that you can read, things that you can Google, preachers that will really understand the feast. It's just not my expertise. But I thought it was important to bring up because they, they do mean something. And I'm not going to do a great job even right now in mentioning them because I'm just touching on them. But there's much more uh, for us to learn from them. So please do some study on your own. And you may be like me, you may have studied them and still don't have a full grasp on them. And that's that's okay because God reveals things at times when you need them most. So let's go ahead and dig into them. Here are the seven. One is Passover. I will stop right there and just mention that that's one of the most prominent ones. But Passover really... uh it really was instituted when when we see that firstborn uh, child, the firstborn male, I think it was the firstborn male of uh, all throughout Egypt that was going to die as the last and final plague that really made the Egyptians want to release uh, Israel. And uh, the death angel was going to come, but the scripture says that they were told that they were supposed to paint blood over the doorposts. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, pass over you. And so no Israelite who had that blood painted uh, experienced any loss of that firstborn uh, male. I believe it was the firstborn male. So that became a very, very powerful thing. And so the, the, the feasts were built off of that. So the very first one is the Passover feast. And then it was the unleavened bread. Um, it's hard for me to not try to mention something about them because it's just so, so powerful. But I I, I won't get into too much because I can't do it justice. But right after the Passover, within the, the seven days after Passover was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Unleavened Bread was bread without uh, leaven or uh, bread without yeast, bread that doesn't rise. So it's uh, flat bread. Um Yeast represented sin, so that's why you're looking for uh, unleavened bread. Passover, you would look for a, a spotless lamb that could be sacrificed for the meal, which points to Jesus. But the unleavened bread was in interesting about it. It was flat, but it was supposed to be pierced and scored. One of the things that uh, seems very similar to to the this type of bread 
if you look at saltine crackers, how they are flat and they've got little holes pierced in them. And then you can see the little brown lines where it uh, kind of looks like it's uh, like scarred. That's very similar to what the unleavened bread would have uh, looked like. But when you think about that and think about Jesus, how he was scarred and bruised, especially on his back for our healing. But then he was pierced in his hands, his feet, as well as his sides. So all these feasts really point to what Jesus was going to do. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Then there's first fruits. Jesus was the first uh, fruit among the brethren. He was the first to to resurrect. And so that we believe in the resurrection for us as well, because he was the first to resurrect. So all these things do point to Jesus. Then there's Pentecost. We we know how that points to the Holy Spirit. Then there's the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, it speaks of all your sins being forgiven, which of course speaks to Jesus. So they would have one day where the sins of the entire Israelite camp was supposed to be atoned for for that year. And they had a lot of other things that, that they would do, like if they felt like they had daily sins, but but it was supposed to be a cleansing. So the day of atonement was that. And we know Jesus' blood washes us from all our, our sins. The Jewish uh, people, they call it Yom Kippur. They still celebrate it, even if the ones that don't believe Jesus is Messiah, they still celebrate uh, the Day of Atonement. So after all that was this final feast. It was the Feast of Booths. It's also uh, known in other ways. It's the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. Some people call the Booths the Tents or also known in Jewish as Sukkoth. So what's interesting is this comes, it's the final feast. It comes after the Day of Atonement. So it comes after understanding that your sins are purged. So it is a celebration. All right, so now let's look at how Leviticus speaks about it. Leviticus 23, it lists all the feasts. It tells you all of them. Probably the first time that you see it in scripture where the feasts are, are listed and it gives you the details about them. So we're going to drill down on that very last one. Remember, leave, leaving the idea of temporary for a second and going to these feasts, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths and looking at what we can grab from it. Leviticus 23, 33 through 34 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites, the festival of booths to the Lord begins on the 15th day of this seventh month, and it continues for seven days. So it's week long, but that important number seven, uh, so this is the seventh fe feast, but it's actually falling in the seventh month. And so since we are actually in the seventh month, and by the time I preached on it, we would have been just a few days past, uh, just a week or so past the 15th. And so it just clicked in, in my mind. Now, now I, I did mention that the Jewish calendar is different than us. They are on a, what we call a lunar calendar. So for them, they have not come into this feast yet. This feast in 2022 will uh, it will happen in October. Their seventh month is October. So it was just quite interesting to me to know we are in the seventh month and, and I start begin to put some things together. So let's continue to read. Let's go to 35 and 36. There is to be a sacred assembly on the first day. You are not to do any daily work. 
You are to present a fire offering to the Lord for seven days. On the eighth day, you are to hold a sacred assembly and present a fire offering to the Lord. It is a solemn gathering. You are not to do any daily work. So one of the things I wanted to to point out is the fact that when we first see these feasts and they're coupled with many of the other laws that the Jews had, it, it did seem like originally, if you just read it, it seemed like God was being unreasonable to these people who are in the wilderness and he's given them all these rules and all these things. But when you begin to look at it and begin to see what happened, how they were coming out of Egypt, they were coming out of bondage and they were slaves. The things that God was instituting in the wilderness, what he was instituting was something to break the bondage mindset, the slave mindset. And one of the things that breaks the slave mindset is the idea of rest. Slaves and people who are in bondage, they don't know how to rest. And so God commanded rest. And he said, one of the first things you're going to do is it's a solemn assembly. It's a sacred thing. You're going to gather together and you're going to rest. You're going to present a offering before me, but a fire offering. And basically just sitting around the fire, relaxing and The idea of rest is not just sleeping, but in scripture, the idea of rest is rest and remember, rest and remember what God has done instead of working, remembering the bondage and how this applies to us spiritually is when we get saved, many times we are taught wrong or many people are taught wrong and we're taught this works-based Christianity where the better you are, the more God will bless you and the better you do. Now, there's some truth to that, but it's just flipped wrong and improperly. So the the proper thing is, is that God blesses us because he's good. And what we do good is a response to his previous goodness. However, sometimes the way we teach it is, Once you get saved, you have to keep being good or else you're going to lose your salvation or God's not going to bless you. So you have to work, work, work. You have to work for your salvation. But the scripture plainly teaches that salvation is a gift. You don't work for a gift. Now, you can show your gratitude for a gift by how you handle the gift. Now, that is true. So how you handle your salvation shows how grateful you are for it. But you're not to work for it. You're not to work. So we are working not for salvation. We are working from salvation. So God many times has to arrest us and make us rest. Me personally, one of the things I struggle with is nothing is good enough for me. I'm never good enough. If I read 10 chapters, I should have read 11. If I dieted and I came off my diet and I had some sugar, but I ate too much sugar. I should have only had a cheat day on Saturday, but I had a cheat day Saturday and Sunday. Maybe I shouldn't do that. I've always wrestled with this idea that I'm not doing enough. And I've had to really fight that because it's robbing me of rest and, and resting in what God has already done. Like, okay, it's, it's okay. God has done now. Now I am an active person. I am ambitious. I'm a doer. So I'm not saying you don't do, but you do 
not to get things done. You do because God has already done. In other words, you do from the standpoint that God has done it. So I'm resting in what he's done and I'm working in line with what he's already done. It's a shift in mindset. It comes more out of grace teaching than legalistic teaching. We grew up more legalistic, or I I, I could say I did because I'm not for sure who all is tuned in, but the people who grew up in Deliverance Temple and many in Pentecostal backgrounds, we grew up legalistic. It's about your makeup. It's about how long your dress is or women. You can't wear pants. You can't go here. You can't go there. You can't go to the movies. You can't, can't, can't. Instead of talking about what God has done, we talked about what you had to do to make sure you stayed holy, made sure you stayed righteous. And it brings a works based religion. And it's really false. It's really about receiving from God what he's already done and then listening to God. And God will lead you and guide you and tell you, no, I don't want you to go here. But it's not to protect your salvation. It's I don't want you to go here because I'm your father. I'm your guide. And this is not going to be the best thing for you. It's more about healthy relationship than it is about, oh, I'm going to go to hell if I do this. And so coming out of that is hard. So the children of Israel had the same mentality because they were coming out of the bondage of slavery. So God had to say, you have to rest. I want you to rest, but I want you to worship me. I want you to spend time with me. But the focus is going to be rest and just remembering what I've already done. All right, let's let's go further. Let's look at 39. You are to celebrate the Lord's festival on the 15th day of the seventh month for seven days after you have gathered the produce of the land. There will be complete rest on the first day and complete rest on the eighth day. Now, it, it does say something important that I want to bring up side by side. It says, after you have gathered the produce of the land. So there was a harvest and harvest does require work. Remember when I talked about the, the lessons that I've learned as a pastor, I talked about how harvest can be hard. It requires work. So we're not saying we should be lazy because the Bible says a man who doesn't work shouldn't eat. But in your working, there's a time to rest. So we can't go from work, work, work to more work, to grind. I got to grind. And we don't have time to rest because normally when we don't have time to rest, we don't have time to remember. We don't have time to reflect on what God has done because we're, we're trying to work, work, work. And so there is a season to work. There's a season to reap the produce of the land, do what God has called you to do, whatever God has called you to do, because whatever God has called you to do, it will wear you out if you do it correctly, because he requires a lot from us, but he still brings us to a place where we can rest. And the rest takes many ways. Sometimes rest is just your connection with God, just reading the Bible on the porch, with a cup of tea, a cup of coffee. That could be your rest, your rejuvenation. Sometimes your rest is going to a restaurant, that's really where we get the word restaurant is, is, oh, you don't have to cook today. You can go somewhere and someone will serve you. And when you are worker bees, worker, 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 you don't know how to be served. You don't know how to rest and it has to be commanded. And some of the sicknesses that we have is because we don't rest. And sometimes God allows the sickness to come to shut us down and force us to rest. 
Because in the rest, we often reflect and remember, and we usually can reflect and remember what God has done. All right, let's move on one more time. On the first day, you are to take the product of majestic trees, palm fronds, bows of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. So even though you're resting, you're going to spend time praising. And the reason why you're praising, and we'll get to it later, is because of your trust. And so uh, you have gathered the produce of the land, so you've worked, but then you do have, even in this rest, you do have to do a little work. You're going to have to get these these uh, certain type of leaves because what is going to happen is you as you build these booths or these tabernacles or these huts or these tents, you're going to use these leaves as your roofs, as your covering. And you're going to first praise God with it. You're going to have your fire. You're going to do all that. But then when it comes time to retire for the night, you're going to go into your individual huts. And these things that you've been praising God with, they're going to be your roof. And one of the reasons why some of the scholars believe that is because it was different from like a wood roof or concrete, which, of course, they didn't have concrete back in those days, but they did have wood. So the difference is with those leaves, you could see through it. And so what you would do as you were resting in the night, you're looking up and you're going to see the stars and the skies. And what you realize is there's not much protecting you from the elements and you except for God. So as you're reflecting, it reminds you that in this life of sin, all you really need is God. We, we have many things that God allows to be the roof over us whether it's our education, whether it's our money, whether it's even our church, our denomination. But certain seasons that you get into, none of those things can cover you. You need God and God alone. You can run into some stuff that is so personal, so deep, that if God doesn't get you out, you're not going to get out. Like the pastor can't preach you out of this. You can't, uh, quote unquote, give your way out of this. You can't bribe your way out of this. You can't have enough friends to friend yourself out of this. All you have is God and you find out all you need is God. And so this festival, it was a rest, but it was getting you to reflect on at the end of the day, man, he's all that I need. All right. So uh, let's read one more, a couple more. You are to celebrate it as a festival to the Lord seven days each year. This is a permanent statue for you throughout your generations. You must celebrate it in the seventh month. And then here's here's the major point that that I'm trying to get to. And I'll, I'll put it side by side. It says live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native born Israelites are to live in such shelters, booths, tabernacles, tents, huts, whatever people want to call them. So your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. So the focus here is that you're doing this not just to reflect and remember, but to remind you of a specific time that I brought you out of bondage, but you weren't ready yet for your promise. So you got stuck in the wilderness. Now, the wilderness, they say, it should have been an 11 day journey. It took them 40 years. So the problem that we have is even though God has delivered us from a lot of stuff, 
we still get stuck in things that sometimes hinder us from our promise. And so God is preparing the promise for us. But many times it is patience that helps us get ready for the promise. It is the disappointments, the denials, the pains, the losses, the ups and downs in life, the hills and the valleys, which we, we preached about. It is those things that many times get you ready for your promise. And so what God was saying to them is, I want you to do this throughout all generations because I want to remind you that when you were in that in-between time, you were not unsaved, you were, you were delivered from Egypt, but you hadn't quite got where you wanted to go yet. And that speaks to all of us. We say this a lot. I'm not where I used to be, but if I'm honest, I'm not where I want to be. So in that space in between, God says, celebrate this festival because I want you to understand that when you were in that temporary space in between, I was there. I, I didn't abandon you. You know, God could have delivered them from Egypt and given them the directions to the promised land and said, get there on your own. And then when they got stuck in the wilderness, he could have been like, well, look, whenever y'all grow up, then y'all can go ahead and go on in to the will. Uh, y'all can go from the wilderness into the promised land. No, he actually waited. Now, he did have to to punish many of them because of their unbelief, but he waited on them to get their act together. He allowed the wilderness to really develop them for the promise that they was going to walk into. But the idea was the wilderness was always only supposed to be temporary. However, God can use temporary things to bring you to permanent places of promise. So the whole idea of this festival is to remind them of a time where God temporarily helped them on the way to where they were going. So that festival speaks to a lot of things. Now, here we're going to put it all uh, together. I'm going to read that one more time, and then we'll, we'll move forward. Taking a little more time than I did Sunday. But live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. So one of the things that I want to point out is that he says, I want you to keep doing this, not so much for you, but for your descendants, for the people who haven't quite gone through what you've gone through. I need you to understand that I can help you in hard things and prove to you that the hard things are only temporary but I'm proving to you because now I'm not really trying to get the information to you. I'm trying to get the information through you to others, to the people who are connected to you, who are going to see you. And when they go through things, and many times the things they go through are much less than what you've been through, but you're able to come to them and say, it's only temporary. Trust me, I've been there before. Actually, what I went through was tougher than what you were going through. And I can promise you, it's only temporary because you are my descendant. Now, uh, that could mean a real descendants, a real bloodline. But for us, it means something deeper. We always talk about our Bible study class. We always talk about being disciple makers. So we become disciples, but we help other people be discipled. So they become our descendants. So how do you help people in hard times if you've never been in hard times? 
But if you think hard times are permanent, how do you help someone else when they are in something that's only temporary? So you got to get it through your mind. It's only temporary. And you have to look at what God has already done. And then you have to pass that information on. So in all of that uh, studying of the feast, there's four points that I wanted to uh, get to us that I think are important. Let's look at these four points. One, praise me while you wait, because what you're facing is only temporary. So since it's only temporary, do not delete your praise. Praise me. The very thing they use to build the roofs is the thing that God said, praise me with. All right. Number two, rest in me while you wait, because what you're facing is only temporary. So the praise and the rest is things that we've seen in that uh, festival. Trust me while you wait, because what you're facing is only temporary. So praise, rest. If you're praising and resting, it's because you trust the person you're praising and you trust the one you're resting in. So trust me, because it's only temporary. Because just because you're praising and resting doesn't mean that the thing is going to change overnight. So you still need trust. So in the process of all that, here's the final thing. Have faith in me while you wait, because what you're facing is only temporary. So I, I took that rabbit trail to get on the feast and the festival because it was those lessons that we learned that we can employ while we're going through our patient uh, challenges, our challenges of patience. We still need to praise. Just because you praise doesn't mean you don't have moments of complaining or moments of talking to God. If you look at Job, Job talked to God and told him how he felt. Some of it was complaining. Some of it was uh, re real and raw. Don't don't be one of those sadity Christians and act like you can't be real and raw. Now, you don't have to be real and raw with people all the time, but you can be real and raw with God. So you're praising God, but you can still be honest. Like, I'm praising you now, but I don't want this to be like this forever. I praise you that I'm married, but I want my marriage to get better. It's okay to tell God that. I praise you for what you've already done in my finances. But God, I need some more finances. Nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, is when you withhold your praise because of what you're facing. And so you rest, you trust, and ultimately it pushes you to that place where you consistently have faith. Now, I didn't say this Sunday, but I'll add that uh, this here tonight. The scripture says that uh, faith cometh by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. So basically it means faith comes by the word of God. The word of God is actually a seed. So every time you sit under the teaching and the preaching, what is happening is you are getting the word and the word births faith in you. So you're not going to be able to praise, rest, and trust and have faith if you have no word. So don't ever let anybody think or tell you or make you think that your coming to church is in vain, your listening to the Bible is in vain, your gospel songs, your listening to other uh, uh, gospel messages. M many people, they tune in to our church service and they turn, tune into other church services. And the devil will try to tell you, oh, it don't work. Or people say, you ain't got to do all that. Never worry about what people are saying because you are receiving the word, which is going to bring faith. Faith comes by the word. And you're going to need the faith to, to continue to journey on to your promised land. All right. So I went from there and went into 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10 was really what, what I wanted to get to 
but I went through that rabbit trail to get there. And actually, it was really only one verse I was looking for. It's 2 Corinthians, uh, not 10, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But it was 4 and 17 that I was really looking for. But I went a roundabout way to get there because I wanted to bring the point home. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 4. It says this, now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. So I'm jumping not quite in the middle, but a little later down what Paul was dealing with. He he had a lot of challenges and he was writing to the church in Corinth and he was trying to let them know that he was qualified to be in their life as a leader based on what he had gone through. And so one of the things that was happening in the church of Corinth is that there were a couple powerful preachers at the time. There was Cephas, which is known as Peter, the Peter that we know, the cutting ear off cussing Peter. He was a powerful preacher of that time. Paul was a powerful preacher. And there was another man named Apollos. And so there were different ones who had chose that had their preference. Some were saying, I'm, I'm, I'm of Apollos. Some were saying, I'm of Cephas or I'm of Peter. Others were saying, I'm of Paul. And Paul was correcting him and saying, y'all, y'all getting into silly stuff, uh, debating on who, who's my favorite preacher and not focusing on what God has done. And then he began to go even further. He's like, for the people who count me out and say, you know, I'm not Pete, like Peter because I didn't walk with Jesus. No, I didn't walk with Jesus. But I got a lot of stuff that has happened to me that proves that God's hand is on me because of all the things the devil is trying to throw at me. So when Paul began to talk about these things, he was trying to show them that I'm qualified to be in your life as a leader because of the things I've gone through. So this goes back to what I just said about the whole thing about the descendants. Many people will never know you are qualified to speak into their life until they know you've been through the fire You've been through the flood and you're still standing. You're still here. Everything hasn't been a snap of the finger and a flip of your wrist and things turned around. You've gone through the muck and the mire. You've battled demons and devils. You've been on the mountain. You've been in the valley. You you have been in hell and through hell. You, you've been on the top as well as the bottom. It is those people that really grab the hearts of others because there's nothing that they've been through that you haven't had some experience walking through. So Paul begins to explain that. And then he makes the statement that even though I'm going through this, it's nothing because what it proves to me is that I have a treasure, but it's hidden in this earthly body. And it's so that I know that the power is not about me. It's about God. And so everybody who's connected to me, I need you to understand if power comes from me, it's not about me. It's about God. Because if I was so powerful, I would have skipped over these trials. I would have skipped over these troubles. I would have passed through hell. I would have jumped over hell. I would have hopscotched over hell. I wouldn't have walked through it. My daddy would still be alive if I was so powerful. I wouldn't have walked through this and that. So you have to understand if power comes out of me, it's because of God, not because of me, because I'm nothing but a vessel. 
and being the vessel, I can never take credit for what God is doing. And people who haven't been through enough, they always take the credit for what God is doing. Paul is saying, no, I can't do that. So now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are pressured in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Then he adds his, his victory list. He begins to talk about everything that he's going through. And he talks about we, he's talking about him, him, his team, all the people that, uh, that he ministered with. He, he was saying that, look, we, we've been through it, but we're still here. We've been through it, but we're, we're, we're not crushed. We're not in despair. We're not suicidal. We still have a smile on our face. We still laugh. We, we still enjoy. So you can trust us because we've been through it. But the key is we've been through it. We, we didn't get stuck in it. And so moving right along, let's go to verse 10. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So now he gets to the real foundation of what is happening. The reason why some of us go through things is because each generation gets a benefit of the generation previous to them. So me as a black man, the generation of the 60s who fought for civil rights, I get some things because of their fight. But there's a generation after me. They get some things because of what, what I do. So every generation, we see that. Most parents understand that. We work so hard so our children don't have to struggle like we struggle. So if you grew up eating sugar sandwiches because you were so poor, one of the things that you try not to do is ever make your child eat a sugar sandwich out of poverty. You try to break that curse. And so when we go all the way back to Jesus dying, he died and he was crucified. But if you study things out, Many of his disciples were beheaded, crucified. John was boiled in oil and then it didn't work and he got exiled to, to Patmos. They all went through high levels of pain. And one of the reasons why, and Paul says it, it said, we carry about the death of Jesus in our life so that the life of Jesus will work in you. In other words, God sacrificed his son so that we all can come on board. But then God chose certain people to sacrifice so others could come on board. So Jesus died, but then his disciples died. Then you get to Paul, and Paul never met Jesus face to face, but then he went through his own trials, and then Paul eventually was beheaded. And you go all the way down through the years. The only reason we have mega churches now where we have pastors, and I'm not talking about crooked mega churches. I'm talking about the actual good ones where there's just, they're in a big city and there's thousands of people there and they're able to live in a nice house and they have a nice facility for the church and for 
nice parking and all that. The only reason why that's possible is because of the groundwork of the people who laid that before going all the way back to Jesus, the disciples, Paul, all the people who died. So every generation, we actually get a little better. So one of the reasons why you have to understand it's only temporary is because it's going to produce a blessing for the generation after you. And some people who are selfish are like, well, shoot, forget the folk after me. But here's the thing. When you get to heaven, you get rewarded for the sacrifices you made today that somebody else would benefit from. So we are benefiting from the sacrifice of Paul. Not only was Paul sacrificed, but he put pen to paper and wrote from jail cells and wrote letters to churches to encourage them. He probably never knew that we would be reading them in the Bible and drawing strength from them, but he sacrificed for us. So I want to say that again. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So we take on death so life can come out to you. That's basically what he's saying. All right, let's go further. Verse 11, for we who live are always given over to death because of Jesus, so that Jesus' life may also be, be revealed in our mortal flesh. So this doesn't always uh, result in what we would call pain. I mean, I, I am talking about some literal physical deaths, but it doesn't always result in pain. It results in what we call crucifying the flesh. So we crucify our flesh so that we could benefit other people. Here, here's a, a prime example of that. I've used this example before. Both my wife and I were not the ugliest people in the world. We're, de we're decent looking. I don't think we're the best people looking people in the world, but we're not the ugliest people in the world. So being that both of us can attract other people, both of us could step out of our marriage to satisfy needs of our flesh. But all the marriages that are looking to us now, it's true that people should be looking to God more than they're looking to people. But the truth of the matter is we're leaders. So if we fall and we fail, the ramifications that it would affect so many other people and so many other marriages that it would be, uh, it would be, I'm trying to use a, a, a good word. Uh, the word frivolous is not the best word, but it, it would be, I can't think of the word I, I, I wanted to say, but it, it would be unwise. It would be frivolous, but it would not have the mindset of leadership if we did things just to satisfy our flesh. So we have to crucify our flesh so life can happen for other people. What would that do to our children? How would that hurt our children? How would it hurt our church? How would it hurt the body of Christ? So there's some things you just say no to. You turn that off. You die to it so that the people after you can be benefited. They can be blessed. And here's the word that I was looking for. I, I couldn't quite grab it. It would be irresponsible. It would show high levels of irresponsibility for us to just go out and live willy nilly lives, knowing we are leaders. And then you see things in the paper. We've done all kinds of crazy things. It would crush people. Now, true, 
people shouldn't be looking to us as their soul, but we're supposed to be leading people closer to God. So if we don't die to certain things, we hurt other people and God will hold us accountable for that. So Paul is saying we 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 go through this stuff for the benefit of other people. So so why could this help us knowing that we have to go through hard things? Why would that help us? Number one is because we know it's going to help somebody, somebody else. But number two, because it's only temporary. So I'm only temporarily going through something hard, but it's going to have permanent lasting ramifications for the people who are connected to me. It's going to bless them permanently, but it's only going to affect me temporarily. So that helps us go through what we have to go through. Verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. So this connects us to the fourth point, which was the faith. So what happens is we died the way we're supposed to die, but then we start speaking faith into people's lives. Even though we're going through things personally, we understand it's temporary. And so we don't wait till we're out of it to start speaking faith. We start telling people, you can make it. You can do it. We start proclaiming, declaring. That's what preaching is doing. It's proclaiming, declaring. So every Sunday, I'm speaking faith to you. I'm encouraging you. Even though I'm going through things myself, I'm encouraging you because one day we're all going to get there together. I'm making up in my mind. I'm going to praise. I'm going to rest. I'm going to trust. I'm going to have faith because it's only temporary. And so now I'm going to speak in line with the word of God instead of speaking in line of what I'm going through. Oh, man, it's so hard leading people. So hard denying my flesh. Oh, I can't stand this. Oh, it's so rough. Pastor, how are you doing? Oh, man, it's just, it's killing me. No, I can't have that kind of speech. So let's put this point up. Number five, since it's only temporary, we don't let the momentary change our permanent confession. We don't let what we're going through momentarily change our permanent confession. So I tell us all the time, we confess our deliverance consistently. Even though I don't feel delivered, even though I have areas that are not delivered, I continually confess my deliverance. I do not let a momentary thing, a temporary thing, change my permanent confession. And then we added this. Since it's only temporary, giving up is not an option. Giving up is not an option. Number one, I know it's only temporary. Number two, and I've been flip-flopping these. Number two, I know that what I'm going through is actually going to benefit somebody else, someone else. Let me add number three. So number one, it's only temporary. Uh, let me make this number two. Number one, it's only temporary. Number two, since it's only temporary, I'm going to come out of it. And number three, I'm going to bless somebody else. I'm going to bless somebody else when I'm in it, and I'm going to bless somebody else when I'm out of it. So the only way I lose is if I quit. So that means, once again, since it's only temporary, giving up is not an option. It's not on the table. I use the example Sunday that it's not on the menu. And so I jokingly said to Teresa, I wanted her to leave Sunday and go to McDonald's and order steak and lobster and watch them look at her crazy because steak and lobster is not on the menu. It's not an option. You can't you can't get it at McDonald's. They're going to look at you funny. And I'm saying the devil's going to look at me funny when he tries to get me to quit because it's not on the menu. It's not on the option. 
uh, it's not an option. It's not even in my vocabulary. I don't know how to give up. I don't know how to, to quit because since I understand it's only temporary and I've been praising him and I've been resting and I've been trusting and I've been having faith and I've been speaking in line with my permanent uh, confession, I just, I can't give up. I, I, I don't even know what the devil is talking about. Now, do I want some things to change? Yes, but giving up is just not an option. I'm going to move on. So then we, we, we close with these verses here. Verse 16, therefore, we do not give up. So, of course, that point comes right from this verse. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Here's something that we need to know scripturally about our outer person. Our outer person returns to dust. We never get the outer person back. The soul and the spirit go to God. And then the scripture says God in, in the time of the resurrection, he creates a new body. We get a new body, a heavenly body. And that's for the new heaven and the new earth. So even though I am being affected and sometimes afflicted by what I'm going through and it affects my outer person and my outer person is wasting away, my inner person is actually growing every single day. So what's going to be more important in heaven, my inner person or my outer person? Well, my outer person is going to return to dust. So that's really not important. What's more important was happening on the inside of me. So as long as I understand it's temporary and it's only outside, I understand it doesn't affect what is on the inside. And so that's what's most powerful. So I focus on that. Therefore, we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed. Our inner person is being renewed day by day. And here's the one that I wanted to get to. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So not only does Paul call it temporary, he actually calls it light in comparison. And on Sunday, I mentioned that this is actually a play on words because in the Hebrew, the uh, the word for glory is the same word for heavy, weighty, or even chubby. It's kabod. And so he says this: these afflictions, are not only are they momentary, but they're actually light in comparison to the reward, the glory. The glory is going to be so heavy, we're actually are going to be upset with ourselves that looking back on it, that we even gave so much attention to it. Because in comparison, what we get, the reward we get from eternity is so much greater than the little issues that we're facing now. Now, the little issues look and feel big now, but when we're able to compare it, we're going to look back and say, man, I was worried about the wrong thing. I was worried about nothing. So we're trying to remind you now it's only temporary. Here's point number seven, the final point. The trade-off is in our favor so we can't lose our focus. And so the verse bears this out, verse 18. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So once again, we'll say it once again, it's only temporary. And the way we understand that is if we look more on the things that are eternal. And that helps us understand. 
Now, studying the feast and all that shows us what we need to do in the process. We'll go through it again. Praise, rest, trust, have faith, speak in line with the the word. Don't change your permanent confession and uh, understand that the trade-off is so uh, so much more in our favor. And then at the end of the day, just keep reminding yourself, it's only temporary. It's only temporary. It's only temporary. No matter what comes at your way n- new, remind yourself it can't last forever. I will outlast it before it will outlast me. All right, let's let's bow our heads and let's let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, praise you, love you, magnify you, and appreciate you. It's only temporary. Whatever it is, whatever we're facing, it's only temporary. Give us the wisdom to understand that. Give us the understanding that sometimes we're only dying for that next generation, for the next people that we're connected to. We're actually laying down our lives for our friends. We're actually modeling what you modeled with your son. So just give us the emotional and mental and spiritual and moral capacity to face what we got to face, go through it and come out on the other side. And for that, we give you praise and we love you. God, I'm asking that you would save the unsaved and that you would reclaim the backslidden, that you would bring people to your bleeding side. And we thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen and amen. God bless you so very much. We appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. Thanks for commenting, liking, sharing, and subscribing. We love you so dearly. And I will remind you again, Deliverance Temple, it is only temporary. 